The process of recycling materials at home can be quite a chore. <laughs> you probably have these moments where you've tried to calculate the time and energy and materials that it would take to clean something out before you recycle it. Like how much energy is that gonna take? That's interesting. Or peanut butter jars, are you kidding me? How much water would it take to wash out a peanut butter jar and the energy to heat the water and the soap compared to the societal cost of just throwing it away, right? Landfill, recycling center, landfill, recycling center. And what really goes on in those recycling centers? Do they really do the work that they say they're gonna do? Well, some of you have actually thought the same things about yourself. Is this it? Have I lived out my usefulness? My life doesn't seem to be worth so much. The people at my uh, job don't think it is, or the people that I, I used to love don't think that it is. So why does it even matter if I throw my own life away? You know, maybe you won't do anything dramatic. You'll just eat, drink, and be merry and speed along death <laughs> as, you're, as you uh, destroy your life over a, a time period. What would it matter anyway, you know, what, what you do with your time, you know? And really, does God think of me as landfill, kind of? Recycling? Maybe better, right? The question. Some of you have worried, wondered about yourself, but, but others have wondered about other, the same thing about other people. They look like they're throwing their lives away, and why should I try to rescue them? I mean, why would I go out of my way to help someone who's already just broken and breaking themselves even more? And if God loves those broken people so much, why doesn't he do something about it? Well, I think you're going to find a couple things today. First, that he is pursuing you. He is pursuing you. You're going to, you're going to see the divine impulse that compels God to act in your life, to come and find you, to rescue you, to save you, and then to do that through your life if you are, if you are willing Let's turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at 26 through 40. Acts 8, 26 through 40. We just heard a story about Philip. He's been preaching in uh, the city of Samaria. And he's been uh, healing and, and casting out demons. And he's been connecting with people and, and making new disciples. The Holy Spirit has been coming upon these people. And then... And then it says, uh, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, this is a desert place. The angel of the Lord says this. An angel comes to Philip to get him up and moving. The divine impulse in this passage is, is frankly amazing. We learn from Jesus that the the Spirit of God is searching out, going here and there, searching out worshipers. Worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And not just in this holy place or that holy place, this mountain, that mountain, but everywhere. <laughs> even, on, even on a desert road. So the divine impulse is sending God's people to connect with those new worshipers. I just want you to be thinking, are there potential worshipers in your neighborhood? Like potential 
worshipers. The, the Spirit of God is seeking out worshipers. Are there potential worshipers in, in your very own neighborhood, at your place of work, at your school, the place where you hang out to recreate? Are there people there that are ready to pursue God, ready to be worshipers of God? You, you didn't just say no for them, did you? You didn't say, no, not that guy, not, no, not her, no, 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 no. You didn't just decide for them that they aren't interested in living complete, whole lives, united in intimacy with their creator, did you? You didn't say no for them, did you? The divine impulse would say, we're going out. And Philip responds to the command of the angel to rise and go. And what, what does it say? And he rose and went. That's awesome. That's the kind of timing that God is looking for with us. Get up and go. Okay. Off I go. For some of us, as my dad used to say, our get up and go, got up and went. Right? But it's time to get up and go. And so Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of the, of the Candace. That's like a title, like uh, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. A eunuch. Wow, this this is a this man was forever a boy because he had been groomed to work with the queen and and her her people. They had castrated him to remove the sexual impulse and make him a safe, if broken, servant in the queen's household. Now, standard operating procedure for Ethiopia and many other palaces in the day and in, in ancient in the ancient world. I want you to imagine uh, what his life was like. Just think about that. And then, then imagine what the divine impulse is to connect with this official. In the passage, it goes on to say he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Well, what do we know about this guy? He's come to Jerusalem, maybe to do some business, but but to be around the temple. He's returning now after having worshipped at the temple, um, seated in his chariot, um, but not just riding and looking at the sights. He's reading the scripture, the prophet Isaiah. A, a real a real seeker, isn't he? A real worshiper. I want you to imagine with me what it must have been like for him to be in Jerusalem. He's, he's probably on official court business at some level, um, and he's uh, doing some commerce, but, but trying to get as close to the temple as possible. And if you know anything about the rules and regulations of the day, uh, a eunuch, a foreigner... But mostly because he's a eunuch, wouldn't be able to get very close to the temple. As a foreigner, the court of the Gentiles, you could get in there. Um, but as a eunuch, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed in. Uh, because you were not complete. You were not whole. You, you were not holy. And so he would know that, that he would need to keep his distance. He's someone who's, who's come to the Jewish faith, who sought out the God, the creator of all things, but he's, he's at the margins. He, he was important to the queen. We know he has a status there, but he wouldn't fit into, 
fit in a Jewish society at all. Because he was a eunuch. He was broken. Not a whole man. And holiness is wholeness. And boy, can you just imagine what he was thinking? And, and just realizing that his life was just set up for being on the outside. He was a broken man. And the Spirit of God was pursuing him. Right? What's the Spirit doing? Uh, he's seeking worshipers, right? Worshipers who will worship God in spirit and in truth. So I want you to think through from another lens. I, uh, I want you to think through God's lens. God is watching this broken man at the outskirts of the temple. What's God thinking as he's standing at the edge, looking in at everything and wanting to worship the Creator but knowing he can't get close? How am I going to get close to God? <laughs> Think about the longing of God pursuing Him. He wants to get close to Him. He wants this Ethiopian to feel pursued. He wants this broken man to experience his love. So what does he do? He sends an angel to talk to Philip. And he doesn't leave him alone. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. <laughs> You're feeling left alone right now. God is, is sending someone. He is. He's sending someone. Maybe you're the broken man or, or woman wondering if you're worth saving, and God is pursuing you. The catch is, it's, it's got to be another one of us who's responding to be sent. You know what I mean? You know, I remember one night, it was a couple years ago, um, I was at a, a hotel bar in Haiti at a resort for a wedding. It's 3 a.m. I've been talking with a friend for about four hours now. And there's just a, a thought just kept coming up. He just, he kept saying, oh, you know, I'm an atheist. There is no God or whatever. How could there be a God? You know, if there's a God, why doesn't he show up? <laughs> and yeah, maybe it's because it's 3 a.m., but I was kind of feeling a little insulted too. Um, what do you mean God's not making himself known to you? I looked him in the eyes and said, I'm right here, Nathan. God is pursuing you. He loves you. And I'm the one right here. I'm, I'm experiencing his love for you. And I'm telling you about his love for you. God is pursuing you. Don't tell me he's not. Are you kidding me? You're, you're, you're denying what, what God is doing right now in my life. But sometimes, you know, you feel... You feel unclean. You feel unworthy. In this case, Nathan was an atheist, but but for the Ethiopian, he feels like, I'm unclean. I'm untouchable. I'm not supposed to be around you all. Um, according to the, the Jewish law, if you come in contact with an unclean person, you yourself become unclean. Uh, Dane Ortland, in this beautiful book that I'm enjoying, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ, for sinners and sufferers. He writes this, Con Consider Jesus. In Levitical categories, so that's from the book of Leviticus, from the group of the Levites who had the rules for the temple. In Levitical categories, he is the cleanest person, Jesus is, to ever walk the face of the earth. He was the clean one. Whatever horrors cause us to cringe, you know those people on the margins, we who are naturally unclean and fallen, right? We cringe at that. Imagine that that would cause Jesus to cringe all the more. We, we cannot fathom the sheer purity, holiness, cleanness of his mind and heart. 
the simplicity, the innocence, the loveliness. And what did he do when he saw the unclean? What was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers? Dane says, he moved toward them. Pity flooded his heart, the longing of true compassion. He spent time with them. He touched them. And when Jesus touches you, he doesn't become unclean. You become clean. That's your story today. Jesus can make you clean and whole. And, and Dane goes on to, to say later, Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers as he spoke with and touched them in his earthly ministry. Through his spirit, he comes close. So he means to be right up next to you. And so in our passage, you know, the spirit says to Philip, as he's now on this desert road, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. The spirit says, now go over here. The spirit goes out of his way to reach the broken. That's the divine impulse. And now we see Philip's response. It's the disciples' intention. Okay, I'm going to follow the lead of the Spirit. To, to obey, not out of a begrudging compliance. You know that feeling, right? Oh, okay, God wants me to love you, that sort of thing. But out of love's compulsion. Not begrudging compliance, but love's compulsion. You know, I was studying uh, this on Tuesday of this week, and I was wondering about my own responsiveness to the divine impulse. Like, okay, am I still saying yes to you? And I'm, I'm in this prayer, I'm in this conversation, I get a text from my neighbor. He says, I've got a proposal. I was like, okay, what's that? He says, I'm coming over. And so he says, I want to take you to lunch, buy you a meal. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, yeah, okay, let's go. And it wasn't a chariot exactly. Um, but the top was off the Jeep, and so we went on a, on a sunny day. But as I was going, I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing here? What is it you want me to do and, and to say? And by the, by the end of the time, I think I f obeyed fully. I was like, is that what you want? Okay, so I'm just going to keep going. And I, I left encouraged, and I hope, um, I hope my friend did as well. Um, but I guarantee you, Philip isn't complaining like you or I might. Oh, now Jesus has me chasing down chariots at noon in the heat on a desert road. What kind of assignment is that? You know what? Following Jesus is really inconvenient. Oh, and I just stepped in a pile of, are you kidding me? And my good sandals too. You think that's, <laughs> you think that's Philip? No, he is excited to be a part of this. Get up and go. You got it. Go and go to that chariot. Okay. I can't wait. I wonder what God is going to do next. This is amazing. The, the creator is coordinating the timing. And he's moving obedient disciples. Obedient disciples. Not that there's any other kind of way to be a disciple, but, but disciples who are obeying. See, the disciples are already scattered. They're already on the move. And God is now just directing them where they need to go. And right now, most of us are pretty stationary, if we're honest. You know, we got our houses, we got our place, we got our work. and the, But the divine impulse is still working, still moving, actually bringing the huddled masses to our shores, the foreigners to your neighborhood. Isn't it amazing what God's doing? 
We have stories streaming in from all over the Muslim Middle East right now of Jesus appearing in a dream to people, men and women, and pointing them to Jesus people to hear the good news. Like, hey, I want you to go seek out somebody, seek out a Christian. I want you to go find these people. And then they come and find these people, and God is just moving all over. In the new book, Women Who Risk, Secret Agents for Jesus in the Muslim World, the Doyles describe how women are the spiritual gatekeepers in the Muslim world. It's amazing. These women in Saudi Arabia, the, the Muslim heartland, right? The, the guardian of, of the holy sites of Islam, Saudi Arabia. These women are finding hope and purpose in Jesus Christ. And they are at the bottom socially, facing all kinds of discrimination. And are in a really dangerous position. And yet Jesus is seeking them out connecting them, and they're spreading the good news of Jesus all over. <laughs> they're sewing Bibles into their hijabs, right, to smuggle them into Saudi Arabia. Just amazing what God is doing, the divine impulse to just move in and, and even move people your direction. So Philip heard him reading the Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And I wonder what Philip's thinking as he asks this perceptive question. I know God brought me here for a reason. He, he obviously wants me to connect with this guy. So what are the points of connection? How am I going to connect? Well, he's reading a scroll, scripture. Well, I don't mean to pry, but maybe God has me here to help him understand. He looks like he's a seeker. He's pursuing. So here it goes. And so, so Philip says, um, you know, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? Still kind of stays open. Like, is this possible that you could be the one that's going to guide me? Very polite in that sense. Also, maybe hesitant because he doesn't know if this is even kosher, right? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he read was like this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. A eunuch who has no possibilities of family, no possibilities of, of his generations that would follow, is looking at the King Jesus and says, wow. Right, looks at looks at the sheep led to the slaughter and says, wow. Looks at this whole story and just wonders, who is this? And the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's a great story. <laughs> really awesome. And I'm, I'm sure Philip led him to just a few more verses down the page of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 56, 3 through 5 says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, let, uh, that Yahweh will surely separate me from his people. And don't let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Oh, can you imagine the eunuch, the outsider, thinking, oh, wow, this could actually be my story? 
As they're going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Well, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Still kind of polite, like, mm, there could be something, I bet, because I am kind of broken. I am kind of messy. I don't really have everything going for me. I'm not sure God would actually want me. What? Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Before there's anything like, oh, my Lord and my God, Jesus is the Savior, uh, Jesus is Lord. Before any, any confession, he's ready to enter the water. It was so obvious. I don't know if you can feel it. so obvious that God is just running to him. And the person of Philip just running to him. And that the Ethiopian is like running to meet God. Like, oh my gosh, I want this more than anything else. He had thought that the temple was the place to worship, and now he worships on the road. The same word that we get, the way, and the Christians are the way. So what can stand in my identifying in, with Christ in baptism? I will give my life, you know. But he knew the story. He, he wanted to know if there was a catch. He wasn't the normal worshiper. He comes with baggage. He says, I, I think he says, I want my old body to be just done away with. I want newness in Christ, you know, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to newness of life. I, I want this old life gone. I want my brand new life, raised with Christ. His body, one of the, that had been mastered by others, you know, his body that, that was not really even his own. He was not his own man. He's now offered himself to God, and the future now just looks bright and open. He runs to the water, even as the water kind of flows to him, like two lovers that can't be held apart. God's impulse and, and his response just complete the circle. <laughs> just, can, can you stop? Don't stop me. I want to I give my whole life to this one. The Ethiopian offered his life in the way of Jesus. Just, I, you can have it. I want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I want to worship I want to worship Jesus. In the, in the Hebrew scriptures, Ethiopia is called Cush. And in many places, Cush is said, they're going to come and worship Yahweh. Isaiah 45, so a little bit before that, where they were reading, um, verse 14 and following says, Thus says Yahweh, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. Now, this is the image of service. They will come over in chains and bow to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. Right? Wow. Cush will come. Ethiopia will come. I want you to think, does your, does your soul throb with that divine impulse for those who are reaching out their hands to the Creator in desperation? They all belong to him. But remember, through, through the story of Israel, Jesus is coming to do for Israel what we are then to do for the world. We are calling them into the family of God. Um, you, you might consider joining me on November 5th and 6th in Edmonds uh, for Missions Fest, Seattle, where we're going to look at how, how God is doing the work um, here, there, and everywhere um, through the scattering of people to bring all people to himself. Psalm 68, 31, nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall, shall, shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. 
Ethiopia will come. Oh, kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to Yahweh, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. So Ethiopia is starting to come, right? It's starting to come to, to Jesus. And when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. <laughs> I bet he had, he bet he had the, his best friend ever is Philip and gone. But he's on his way still rejoicing, hitting the road again. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So now we have the Gentile coast of Israel being uh, being preached to all the way up to Caesarea. And, and church tradition says that this Ethiopian preached the gospel back home. And there has been a vibrant church there um, since then. Philip then goes to preach the gospel through all these other towns, ends up in Samaria. We'll see him later in the book of Acts. But one thing that amazes me, and perhaps you're you're keen into this too. Luke is just sharing a, a, just a few of these encounters, just a few stories uh, of Philip even. And it's not even a complete list of Philip's encounters. And Philip's just one of the many who've been scattered throughout all these towns. So just think about all the people that have been met on the road, that have been told about the way, that have been engaged with the truth of the gospel. How many stories can be told? You know, and how many stories can be told through, through our church? Little by little, we're making connections as God sees fit. Like, okay, I want you to connect with this person. I want you to speak a word of wholeness to this broken person. We offer ourselves and put our bodies and lives on the altar. We do trade in ease and comfort for life that is truly life. We engage people of other cultures that God has sent to us. This, this cross-cultural activity is, is as close and simple as inviting a neighbor to teach you how to make ethnic food that you love and that they love, right? These kind of experiences will start to round out our lives, fill our perspective with God's heart for the entire world. The divine impulse, uh, you can, I'm, I'm sure you know this by now, is to get the word out about Jesus in partnership with the people of God. That word obviously needs to reach into you, a word of compassion and mercy and forgiveness. And then that divine impulse of, of love for others to partner with Jesus for, to reach the broken. I wonder what's next for you. Uh, do you wonder? Do you wonder what God has next? Do you look at the way God's already coordinated the timing in your life and moved his obedient disciples into your path? Maybe you're still waiting and God's sending them. Maybe one of us. But this story of, of Philip and the, and the Ethiopian eunuch fills me with wonder. I just, like, wow, I, I wonder what God is up to. And I think that's essential for every obedient disciple. I wonder, would I, would I be willing? Do, do I even have, do you even have the margin to pick up and go to the desert road if that's where God wants you to go? I've got three questions that I use to reignite wonder. Maybe you can follow along with me and, and make these your questions too. 
first question is, is pretty simple. Has God given up on these people? You walked into work, you looked at them, and you're like, God is done with them. They have, they, there's no way that they're going to be worshipers of God. They have, their lives are too messed up, too broken, too, too whatever, right? But, but really, has God given up on these people? Well, no. No, he hasn't given up on them. So what is he doing? Well, we know he's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking and saving the lost. He's redeeming souls. He's going after people. So now as I look around this coffee shop I'm in or my own home or I look at my neighbor or I look at the place of work, I ask this last question. So where is he at in the process with these people? Has God given up? What is he doing? And where is he at in the process? Well, I wonder if that guy reading that book over there, that scroll, is uh, is the one I'm supposed to be connecting with. Hey, what you reading? What what piques your interest? I wonder where he's at in the process. Maybe I could just step into what God's already doing. Maybe God's saying, "Rise up and go," and so you you do. That's my prayer for you, that we could develop wonder. Together, we could develop a sense of wonder that we could be partnered with God in redeeming lost souls. Let's go.